Today, what I would like to talk about is probably something that all of us who have already placed our faith in Christ have um, wondered about or worried about um, for at some point in your in your Christian walk. You know, I've I know I've had these worries definitely before myself, and maybe you still have it um, these worries. But what I want to talk about is I want to try to answer this question of how do we how do we know that we are truly saved? Like, how do we know that we're saved and we will get to go to heaven when we die? Um, you know, when I was a kid, I can remember asking my parents this question all the time because, you know, I really wanted to go to heaven and it scared me to think that I might not. So I wanted to be sure that I knew that I was going to go to heaven. And, and like I said, some of you may have these fears and doubts in your past, or maybe you still have them today. And so I just want to talk about that a little bit, of how we know that we are really saved and how we know we can inherit eternal life. Um, Because scripture says in Romans 3.23, a lot of us probably know this verse, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, that sin separates us from God. As we see in Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. The penalty for our sin is death and separation eternally from God. So it's a scary thing to think about the fact that there's a lot of people in the world who are not going to get to go to heaven when they die. It's, it's the sad reality that um, that's just the truth, and it just makes us wonder, you know, like, will we? And so I'm excited to tell you this morning that the answer is, is much easier than you might think. Um, we can absolutely 100% know for certain that we will, are saved and we have eternal life because Scripture actually tells us we can know. Um, it's not just a hope that we can hope in. For those of us who are believers, we, we don't have to fear death because we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where we're going next. And as I was preparing for this, I came across an article by Stephen J. Lawson. I wish I would have looked up who he was, but I'm sure he's a pastor or something like that somewhere. But um, I found this article on Billy Graham's website. I think it's just billygram.org. But anyway, the article kind of, it was about this topic, and it just helped me create my outline for this sermon, so I kind of just want to give him credit for that. But So based on that outline, I want to look at four ways that we can know that we are saved and have eternal life. And the first one is God's word is truth. And what I mean by that is we know that scripture is completely true because it's God's word and God cannot lie. Scripture says in 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So in other words, unlike, you know, preaching today or, you know, a word of encouragement today from someone, Scripture is all God. Yes, you know, it was written and maybe phrased a little differently based on who wrote it, like if you compare the first three Gospels to the fourth Gospel, John, it's pretty clear that John had a bit of a different style than the first three um, writers of the first three Gospels um, in the New Testament. But, but the message of Scripture and the interpretation of Scripture is, is the truth that is only from God. God, through the Holy Spirit, gave the writers what to write. And I heard this in college, and I always thought it was a cool way to, to phrase it, that the writers of Scripture were just that. They were just the writers, but God is the author of scripture. Whereas on the flip side today, like in me giving this sermon, you know, I have without a doubt 
prayed and asked God to, to use me and to speak through me um, in my preparation and also speaking right now. Um, I've prayed for that, but at the same time, um, it's my interpretation of what I feel like God has been teaching me. It's, it's what I believe he's been teaching me, but just as I am an imperfect person, so is my interpretation going to be. So is my sermon going to be. So I can't obviously promise that everything I say today is going to be truth. I'm doing my best to stick to the word, obviously, but, but I'm imperfect, and so my sermon is not going to be the inerrant word of scripture. I'm not adding to scripture by preaching or anyone by preaching. Um, but on the flip side, we can have confidence that the word of God is 100% truth because it is completely from God. And having said this, one way we can know that we have eternal life is that scripture actually says we can know. It says in 1 John 5, 11 through 13, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know that we have eternal life if we place our faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us on the cross. And the next way we can know that we have eternal life and, and are saved is um, the finished work of Jesus. And, and we can know because we can have confidence in his sacrifice on the cross, knowing that it was once for all and it is complete. Um, 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Christ's sacrifice on the cross was for anyone, but not for everyone. I'm going to say it again, and don't freak out. I will explain it. <laughs> because if that sounds a little heretical, I understand. But I'm going to say it again. Christ's sacrifice on the cross was for anyone, but not for everyone. And what I mean by that is it was sufficient for anyone. Any one of us can place our faith in Christ and then inherit eternal life in a relationship with him. But not everyone is going to do that. Not everyone is going to accept the free gift of salvation. There will be those who choose to reject God and try to live their own way. And because of this, they will not be saved. However, for those of us who do choose Jesus, we will be saved. It says in John 1, 20, uh, 1, 12, and 13, But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Christ died so that anyone can accept his free gift of salvation and relationship with him and with our Heavenly Father. And the, the third way that we can know um, that we have eternal life and we are saved is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by this is we can know that we are saved because at salvation we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and he dwells within us. And like I said, the Spirit is given to us at salvation. And he dwells within us and he, he helps us to live a godly life. And so um, I want to take a, a minute to kind of just talk about some of the roles of the Holy Spirit in, our, in the life of the believer. And the Holy Spirit has many roles um, that he does, but just for the sake of time, I just want to go over three of I, what I think are probably the biggest roles in, in our life, in, in our life as a believer. And it's, number one, 
the Holy Spirit is our helper and he's our teacher. The Holy Spirit speaks to us primarily through the word of God, and the Holy Spirit actually helps us to be able to understand God's word. So it says in John 14, 25 to 26, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So the Spirit is who teaches us and and gives us understanding of Scripture. And not only this, but the Spirit also helps us to remember what we have studied. And this is how we as believers can, can read a passage of Scripture over and over, and the Holy Spirit can bring to light some truth out of the word, out of the passage that we're studying that we've never considered before. And he can continue to do that. Scripture says um, that it's alive and active, and it's because of the Holy Spirit who allows us to understand it more and more as we read it. The next thing that the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit um, convicts us of our sins, and it says in John 16, 7 through 8, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus here speaking to his disciples um, right before he ascends into heaven after his resurrection. And he says, I tell you the truth, it is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So here we see the Spirit is who convicts us of sin. And, but not only this, but he also helps us to turn to God and resist our sin and fight against this everyday battle that we have uh, against sin. In Galatians five sixteen through 17, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So the Spirit, as I said, dwells within us as believers. So that means that we have incredible power. We have the power of God dwelling within us. Because as we know, the Father, the Son, Father, the Heavenly Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they all are equally God, and they all have the same power. And yet, they're all very distinct. And so if we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we have the power of God dwelling within us. And that means that we have incredible power to, to resist sin. Or as this verse says, walk by the Spirit. And uh, Satan has done, a, I hate to give Satan credit, but he's done a very good job of making sin enticing to us. If something feels wrong or rebellious, even those of us who are believers, maybe even especially those of us who are believers, sometimes we have a very strong desire to do that thing because we want to, to fit in or feel cool or whatever. And, and isn't that just like crazy that Satan has taken sin and made it into something that is considered cool um, or a way to fit in? And I can think of an example of this in my own life. A couple weeks ago, while I was um, working at Starbucks, some of my coworkers were, were talking about partying. And they asked me, they said, Jake, do you party? And I said, no, I don't party. And they said, did you ever party like in college or anything? And I said, no, I, I very rarely drink, um, and I, I've never come close to getting drunk. And, and they said, did you ever smoke? Or have you ever smoked? And I said, no. And the one who was asking me this, she, she knew I was a pastor's kid. And she goes, oh, you're like a true pastor's kid then. And uh, <laughs> it was funny. It's funny, like I was actually slightly offended that she said that. I, was, I like wanted to justify myself 
that I'm not all pure and holy as a pastor's kid. So I, I, what I said was, I mean, I've got like tattoos in my ears pierced, <laughs> like trying to fit in the best I could and uh, to make myself sound cool again, as I say. And has, has this ever happened to anyone else or am I the only one? You try to fit in. And it's just, it was ridiculous to me. I was thinking about it later. I was like, why? This is so ridiculous to me. Like, why am I trying to make myself sound like I've done worse things than I have? Why am I offended or upset that I never partied in college or that I've never smoked? Like, I should be incredibly grateful that God has kept me from those temptations in my life, that that's truly a gift and it's not something to be ashamed of. So I tell you this story to, to give an example of how sin is just so enticing sometimes to us. Um, but because of the Holy Spirit, we can have the strength to resist that temptation to sin. Um, at times in my life when I've been, been tempted to sin or rebel in some way, there's, there's always been one verse that has been very impactful to me in my, in my sin struggles. And, and it's 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. I guess it's two verses technically, but... Um, it says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you may be able to endure it. And I love this verse because it reminds me that, one, there's nothing that I could be tempted by that I would be alone in. There's nothing that I'm ever going to be tempted by or, or drawn to, to sin in that others have not also struggled with in the world. And, and not only this, but another verse, uh, Hebrews 4.15 says that our Savior Jesus Christ has been tempted in all things as we are, yet he did not sin. So not only have other people in the world experienced this sin, but actually our Savior Jesus Christ experienced all the sins that we have experienced or will ever experience. And he did not sin. He found his way of escape in those temptations. So I love it because of that. It just gives us, it's so encouraging to know that we are not alone in our temptations and in our sins. And second, I love this verse because of the second half of it that says, God is faithful and he will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I'm able. And because I've been in situations in my life where I've been tempted by something and I felt so strongly tempted to do this sin or do this thing that I, I literally felt like it was impossible for me to resist. I'm like, I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. I, just sh I should just give in to this temptation. And this verse always reminds me that that's never the case. I will never experience a temptation. None of us will ever experience temptation from Satan that we cannot resist with God's strength. If, I, if we seek him in times of prayer um, in the middle of temptation, we seek him in prayer in times of temptation, he will always provide the way of escape for us. It doesn't mean we all, will always take it, but because I've had times where I've prayed and then I still choose to sin because I didn't choose to take the way of escape. But if we pray to him, that door will always be open for us to flee from temptation. Um, and, and when we do that, he gives us the strength through the Holy Spirit. Um, who is with us. And the last thing that the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer is um, he's described as a seal. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, have, be, have also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, 
who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit is, is a seal for us and he's a, a pledge, or some verses say a guarantee, um, excuse me, of our inheritance. In the past, a seal was, was something often placed on like a letter or a contract with, and this still happens today, some people like to be hipster, but <laughs> with um, wax um, like on the seal of it and then they would use, the person sending it would use like a stamp or something um, specific to them to kind of seal it in the wax, um, signifying that that letter came from that person. And not only that it came from them, but it also confirmed or, or validated the letter or contract. And, or in, in ancient times, they would um, brand like cattle or slaves to show who those cattle or slaves belonged to. And this is the same thing we see here. We see that when we accept Christ as our Savior, our Heavenly Father places a seal on us signifying that we belong to him. That's the Holy Spirit. And we're his children, sealed by his Holy Spirit, and he will never let us go. And the last way that I want to talk about that we can know that we are saved and have eternal life is the, our new life in Christ. When we accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, and we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, it should be evident in our life in the way that we live. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. We are a new creation in Christ. We have truly been born again, as some verses say. And it was so interesting to me. Again, I bring up a lot of stories about college, but <laughs> it's a very formative time in my life, obviously. But in college, um, in one of my classes, a student, I don't think she brought it up, but somehow it came up that it was, it was her birthday that day in the class. And my teacher, my professor asked her, he said, oh, in, in flesh or in spirit? And I was like, what? I was like, what are you talking about? Um, at first I was thinking that. But then after I thought about it for a minute, I was like, I realized, oh, he's, he's asking her if like, this is her salvation birthday. Like if this is the day a certain number of years ago that she chose to place her, place her faith in Christ, um, and I just, that's always stuck with me, th with me, the way that he said that. I've never thought of it like an actual, like a birthday. Um, that, that would, that's just where his mind went of, oh, it's my birthday. Oh, in flesh or in spirit. Like, I would never think to ask that. And that's just amazing to me that he thought of that. So, but that's really what it's like. It's, it, it's literally like a new birth. First Peter 1, 23 says, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that through the living and enduring word of God. So our life should be changed when we accept Jesus. Um, but also, I, I do want to encourage us that just because we become a believer and our life should be changed and transformed through Christ and, and our new life with him, it doesn't mean that our sins that we have previously struggled with are just going to go away. Um, don't get me wrong, I've definitely heard stories of people who, you know, were, were really deep into some sin, like an alcoholic or a drug addict or something like that. They were addicted to something, and, and they found God, and he just radically changed them, and their um, desire for that drug or whatever just instantly was gone, and they never struggled with that again. I, like, I do absolutely believe that happens, and I think that's an amazing miracle from God that he blesses people like that. But the majority of the time, 
that's just, I, can, I think I can say that's just not the case. And, and even for those people who that is the case where some sin they're struggling with is just instantly gone, that doesn't mean that every other sin they struggle with is also gone, you know, because our desire to sin doesn't just go away at salvation. We, will, we have a sin nature as human beings, and, and that will always be present with us until we die or until Jesus comes back. And because becoming a believer, like I said, doesn't make us perfect, because um, we can never be perfect, and we all have a sin nature. And, but this is where God's grace has to step in. As I was reading, um, I was reading a book as part of my preparation for this sermon, which is it's literally titled um, "How You Can Know That You Will Spend Eternity with God," I believe, um, by Erwin Lutzer. He's the former lead pastor of Moody Church, uh, or he, yeah, he was the lead pastor of Moody Church for for many years. And his book talks about how we all need the same amount of grace. We as humans are all in the same predicament. It doesn't matter how evil or how good we think we are. He, he uses the example of comparing, it's kind of cool because he's from Chicago, so we can relate to his analogies in his book, but he says he compares the height of the Willis Tower to the height of the nearby Union Station building, or the train station. And so, I mean, obviously to us down on Earth, the height of the Willis Tower is, is much, much higher than the height of the Union Station building. But he says, let's suppose we change the question and ask which of them was closer to the constellation Orion, which is a few thousand light years from Earth. He says, sure, the top of the Willis Tower is a few hundred feet closer to, to Orion, but does it really matter? In, in the, um, sorry, lost my place. In comparison to thousands of trillions of miles, a few hundred feet makes no difference whatsoever. And he says, of course, though, you know, our perspective down on earth is that a devoted Christian who serves God every day with all he can is, is much different than like a serial killer who hates Christians, obviously. But spiritually speaking, he says, even the best of us is still an infinite distance from God. And I love what he says next. He says, if we forget this, if we forget that we are an infinite distance from God, no matter how good or bad we are in life, we have overestimated our goodness and underestimated God's holiness. Because the word holiness, I'm going to throw some Greek or Hebrew in here for fun. Um, the word holiness uh, in its original language in the Bible uh, in Hebrew is this word kodesh, and I think I have it on the screen, yeah. Um, it's this word kodesh, and it means set apart, sacred, or separate. And, and God is holy, and we are not, and he's completely separate from us. He's set apart from us because we have all sinned, and, and God is perfect, and so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Um, and none of us can get anywhere near him by, by trying harder in life or by doing more good works. And again, this is why we all need his grace. And it's not something we can earn or pay back by doing good. It's, it's a free gift. It's truly a free gift for us that God offers. Um, but I want to remind us, it's a free gift for us, right? But God paid a big, big price for it. He gave his only son to die on the cross, one of the most painful deaths, arguably the most painful death you can endure, to die on the cross for us because he loved us enough so that we could have his grace. And this is so important for us to know the great cost that God paid 
um, and that Jesus paid so that, so that we could have grace. It's by his grace and his grace alone that we get to inherit eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, if you grew up in church, you probably have this verse memorized, but it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves is a free gift of God, not, by, not as a result of works, so that no, man, no one may boast. And, and this verse right here pretty much sums, up, sums it up. This is how we can have the assurance of our salvation. Because at the end of the day, who is the one who saves us? Do we save ourselves by placing our faith in Jesus? Erwin Luther says later in the book, um, the work of God in the human heart, and he's talking about salvation, is both miraculous and irreversible. And that's exactly what it is. It's not us softening our hearts. It's not us changing our hearts. It's only God and his Holy Spirit's work of softening our hearts and revealing to us our sin and our need for Jesus, our need for a Savior. Romans 3, 10 through 11 says, Therefore there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is none who seeks for God. It's only through the Holy Spirit softening our hearts that gives us the ability to even place our faith in Christ. So I say again, who is the one who really saves us? Is it us or God? In 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, Paul says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed, uh, and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our heart as a pledge, or as other verses say, a guarantee again. God is the one who allows us to stand firm in Christ, and it's his Holy Spirit that guarantees our inheritance. This means that if we are genuinely saved, even if we walk away from God for a time in our life, if we fall back deeply into sin for a time, it doesn't mean that he will decide to just stop saving us. God's grace for us is greater than our sin. And on the flip side, though, hear me very clearly that this does not mean that we can just accept Christ as our Savior and then for the rest of our life just live in sin, doing whatever we want to do because we have that guarantee of our inheritance. Because as I said before, God's grace for us, allowing us to be saved and have eternal life is, is a free gift for us. But God paid a great, great price for it so that we could spend eternity with him. And because of this, if we have genuine faith and love for our Heavenly Father and his Son, we should want to do all we can to honor and respect him um, with how we live. Because scripture is clear that works is not the means of our salvation, but it is what demonstrates our already attained salvation. If someone believes that they, can, that they can do this, that they can accept Christ and then just go on living the rest of their life however they want, it's, it's not our place to judge that person. Only God knows the heart of man. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that it might be that that person never truly had genuine faith. And again, it's not for us to judge. Only God knows the heart. But, you know, because, um, so then it makes us ask the question, well, what does genuine faith actually look like? And, because there's a big difference between believing with our mind that Jesus is the Son of God and believing with our heart. There's plenty of people in the world who have studied the Bible and they could say, yeah, I believe Jesus died for us. And yeah, I believe he, he lived. And, but they don't actually accept this in their heart as something meaningful to them and, and life-changing for them. They don't truly accept him as their savior. And, and it's not about praying some sinner's prayer or, or coming forward at the end of church and raising one's hand in church or standing up when, when somebody says, do you want to be saved today? And, and don't get me wrong, 
please hear me that these are not bad things at all. There's, there's many of you probably who were saved in those moments. Like I think, Hugh, I think you were saved in that kind of thing. But So there's nothing wrong with that at all. I just want to get us out of the mindset that it has to be some big moment like that. It has to be um, like we have to go up or raise our hand in church or be prayed for or pray a certain way um, or we won't be saved. Erwin Lutzer says in the book that this faith confuses an outward sign with an inward miracle. And again, please hear me that um, you certainly can be saved this way. But it just doesn't have to be that way. Um, we can accept Christ at any time in our life. It doesn't have to be with others or with someone praying for us or, or in a church. Um, it, you know, it doesn't have to be anywhere. It can, it can be while we're home alone or, or literally wherever. It does not matter where we accept Christ or who we're with. So again, what does it look like to have genuine saving faith? Um, and genuine faith is pretty simple. And I'm going to read 1 John 5, 11 through 13 again, which says, And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's simply an acceptance that Christ is our substitute, or he's our sin bearer. And it's to believe in his promises that he will give us eternal life to those who believe in him. Luther says that this kind of faith is, is given to us by God, and it's an understanding that Christ did all that is necessary to declare us forever righteous before him. If we have this kind of faith, we, we will have the assurance, and we will know that we have eternal life. And whether our faith is small or big, it must all be directed at Christ and Christ alone. He is the focal point of our faith. And as our faith grows, the more and more confident we can be that we are saved and we will be saved forever. So that's all it takes. We can know that we are saved and have eternal life with the Father by first and foremost placing our faith in Jesus as our Savior. By knowing that the word of God is fully true and trusting what it says is true. By trusting Jesus' sacrifice on the, on the cross is complete and finished by the testimony of the Holy Spirit, and last, by the change that takes place in our heart at salvation in our new life in Christ.